submitting to authority. Every day of our lives, we are called to submit to authority. And yet, this thing that we do on an every single day basis can still be so very difficult. I feel my six-year-old son, David, and I have a conversation about submitting to authority on a near daily basis. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's about him submitting to the authorities that God has placed in his life, primarily mommy and daddy, but also teachers and adults here at church or at school. But like many of us, I think David's problem often is when, when he doesn't like the instruction that the authority gives him. If he's okay with the instruction, he's got no problem submitting. But it's when it disagrees with what he wants to do, that's when the problem comes up. I remind David often that God has placed authorities in my life as well. At my workplace, I have my boss that God has placed in, in charge of me, and I must submit to that authority whether I want to or not, whether I feel like it or not. So the issue of submitting to authority, it's really part of the human condition. All of us suffer this. It is a sin problem. God has placed authority in all of our lives, and we must submit to that authority. So how are we as Christians to submit to that authority? Our passage tonight, Paul gives us three principles for how Christians are to submit to those in authority. In this passage, Paul gives us three principles for how Christians are to submit to those in authority. The first principle is that Christians are to honor everyone in authority. Christians are to honor everyone in authority. Let's take a look at verse 1. All who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own master as worthy of all honor. Here Paul is giving instruction for all the slaves at the church in Ephesus. That's right. I said slaves. And already, I can see your faces. I'm looking at them. Some people may be getting a little uneasy. Are we really going to talk about slavery? Isn't there a better word that we could use? Well... The question is, we are going to talk about slavery. And the basic reason is that in this study of 1 Timothy, we're walking through God's word one verse at a time. And we don't shy away from passages because, you know, they may make us feel a little bit uneasy or because the meaning of the passage may not necessarily align with our society's modern day narrative. So yes, we're going to talk about slavery. But I feel before we get into that, let's provide some much-needed context and clarity as to what we mean when we're talking about slavery in this, in 1 Timothy. Slavery in the first century Roman world was very different from what often comes to mind for most of us when we think of slavery. In Paul's day, there were many different ways someone could become a slave. Some would become a slave as a result of war or poverty or as a means to pay off a debt, a number of other ways. Slavery in 1 Timothy did not have to be a life sentence. Someone could work as a slave for a period of time, but then return to be a normal citizen. Someone could even willingly choose to become a slave. Oftentimes, due to the guarantees that come with being a slave, being a slave guaranteed you housing, it guaranteed you food, and you would still receive a wage for your labor. 
So this kind of slavery is nothing like what we experienced here in America in terms of slavery. Slavery in the Roman world was not an issue of race, skin color, or claims of superiority or inferiority of people groups. Therefore, the slavery that we had in America prior to the Civil War is not a good picture of what we're talking about when we talk about slavery in this context. Now, I wanted to be clear, there's a distinction between Roman slavery and American slavery. At the same time, I don't want people to get the wrong idea thinking that slaves in the Roman world were living the high life. Paul uses the phrase, the yoke of slavery, for a reason. Think of the yoke that is placed upon the oxen as they pull through the field, plowing the field. Being a slave often meant hard labor, working difficult in, under difficult circumstances and not under the best conditions. All right, so with that context of what we mean by slavery, let's get back into the text. Slaves are instructed to regard their own masters as being worthy of all honor. The directive is that slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. It's not a directive to consider all masters worthy of honor. It's not a directive to consider another slave's master worthy of all honor. They are to consider the one that God has placed immediately over them as worthy of honor. So what does it mean then to regard someone as being worthy of honor? To regard in this instance means that a determination is made. And that determination, it's not based upon feelings, but it's based upon objective facts. And in this instance, the objective fact is that God has placed the master in a position of authority over the slave. That is the fact of the matter. It did not matter how the slave felt about the master. It did not matter if the master treated the slave well or treated the slave fairly. The fact was God put that master in a position of authority. And the slave needed to determine that he would honor his master. Paul had previously instructed us about honor in 1 Timothy uh, when we looked at chapter 5 just a few weeks ago. We were instructed then to honor the widows in the church. When we studied that passage, we talked about how we, would, we as a church could honor those widows by serving them and providing for them. We were also told that elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So how would a first century Christian slave honor his master? Well, the answer is that a Christian slave would honor their master by submitting to their master. A slave would willingly submit to his master's instruction. But what are we to do with this command? We haven't had slavery in America since 1865. While we may not be slaves in the sense addressed here in this text, we are like the slaves that Paul is addressing in that we all have authorities placed over us. And like the first century slaves in Ephesus, we must honor those who God have placed in a position of authority over us. It does not matter who that authority is. It does not matter what type of person they are. It does not matter whether they are Christian or not. It does not matter whether you're friends with them. It doesn't matter what sports team they cheer for. We are to honor and we must decide based upon the fact that God has placed them as an authority over us that we will honor that person in authority. So as a 21st century Christian, what does it mean when we say we're just going to honor authority? 
Well, the simple answer is, it's the same as it was for the first century slave. We are to submit. That's how we honor them. We submit them. But what, what does that look like more specifically? Now, we are called to submit the governing authority in Romans 13. But the direction here is much closer, much more intimate than just a submission to Caesar. Or in our case, federal, state, local government. The direction here is for us to submit to our own masters, the authorities that God has placed right over us. And for many of us, the easy example would be, think of your employer, think of your workplace, a manager that you have in, in some position in your life. In short, we submit by following directions, working hard, and doing our job well. That's how we provide the honor, following directions, working hard, and doing the job well. Paul gave similar instructions in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 22, where he wrote, Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external services as those who merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, that is, the Lord Christ whom you serve. We are to work not as if we're merely punching a clock or as if we're some cog in some great industrial machine. We are to work as if we are directly working for God. And that's because ultimately we are. That's what the text says. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So whatever your job, whatever your profession, you are to work hard and do your job well as if you're working for the Lord as if you were submitting that report or providing a service directly to God himself. This means that you are to work hard and do your job whether or not your boss is in the office that day, whether or not he's there at the job site, whether or not whatever work you're submitting is going to be reviewed by upper management. You are to work hard because you are working for God. To be clear, having a good work ethic does not mean that you neglect your family, your church responsibilities, or your time with God because there's work to be done. I'm sure most of you figured it out, but in case you haven't, there's always work to be done. There's always more that you can be doing. Honoring authority does not require you to prioritize work over everything else. But while you're at work, while you're on the clock, get after it. Don't be messing around. Don't be lazy. Get to it. When it's time to work, work, and do it for the Lord. But when it's time to be with your family, likewise, get after it. Do it, do it well, and do it for the Lord. We are called to honor the authority God has placed over us by working as for the Lord. But Paul's instruction for us isn't a command given in isolation. Paul gives us two justifications for why we are to honor those in authority. Paul writes, this is in the second half of verse 1. Regard masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. So that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. Now when Paul says the name of God, it means more than merely just God's name. Reference to the name of God is equivalent to God's character, God's reputation. So when someone is saying something negative about God, they're actually saying something against the name of God. Other references to the name of God in Scripture include Romans 10.13, 
Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Philippians 2, 9 through 10. God highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Last one, Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So when Paul says the name of God, he's referring to more than just God's name. He's referring to who God is. God's character, it's God's reputation that's on the line. Paul's reference to our doctrine in this verse refers to what Paul has been teaching, what he's been preaching, what he's been proclaiming throughout this entirety of this book. And if you recall from our previous sermons in 1 Timothy, the overall theme has been addressing false teachers, false doctrine. So when Paul writes our doctrine, he's referring to the correct teachings about God and particularly about the gospel the good news that Jesus died to save sinners. That is what Paul is referring to here. We are to honor those in authority so that God's reputation and the gospel are not spoken against. So when we say not spoken against, to speak against something in this context means it's to slander. And to slander is to make a false statement about someone that damages that person's reputation. The King James translates this phrase as to blaspheme. And I like that choice of wording as I really think it adds the necessary weight to what we're talking about here. We are to honor authority so that God is not blasphemed. And that word here, it's the same word that was used in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, where Paul is talking about Hymenaeus and Alexander being excommunicated, kicked out of the church for the sin of blasphemy. That's the seriousness that we're talking about here. Now, blasphemy is much more than merely using the Lord's name in vain. Again, it's slandering or not giving proper honor to God. We are to honor authority so that God's reputation and the gospel are not blasphemed, are not spoken of lightly, are not spoken of falsely, are not spoken of in vain. Now, putting all of verse 1 together, Christians are to honor authority by working hard as for the Lord so that God's reputation and the gospel are not blasphemed. We are to honor authority for the sake of the gospel. We are to work and act in such a way that the gospel and God's name do not look bad. Our behavior at work should be such that people don't have a bad taste in their mouth when they see how we respond to authority that God has placed in front of us. So how do we respond to authority? How are you behaving at work? When your coworkers begin complaining about management or the new assignment that was just handed down, do you join them in their grumbling? If your work allows you to work from home, when you're on the clock, are you really working? Or are you half working and half watching Netflix? How hard are you working? Is your work product better than that of your coworkers? Is your behavior at work just like the non-believers? Because if we behave just like our lost coworkers, grumbling, complaining, slacking off, or just overall defiant to authority, what does that say about the God who we claim to represent? What does that say about the transforming power of the gospel? By being a poor witness for God, we can impede the gospel message and make the good news of Jesus Christ sound not quite as great. Christians in the workplace should look different than non-believers. Our behavior at work should be such that people take notice. Your boss should be thinking, 
There's something different about that guy. I wonder what's up with him. Why is it that I constantly have to prod all these other workers to keep at task, to get to work, but this Christian, he's always working hard. I never have to be over his shoulder wondering what he's doing. I wonder why. I wonder what's going on there. Remember, we are ambassadors for Christ. We represent Christ in a lost world. Right or wrong, people will make determinations about God, Jesus, and the church based upon how they perceive us, based upon how they perceive you. That is why we have to honor the authority by working as if for the Lord so that people will not speak negatively about our God or the gospel. So Christians are to submit to the authority in their lives by honoring everyone in authority. But Paul gives specific instruction if that person in authority is a fellow believer, which gets us to our second principle. Christians are to respect believers who are in authority. Christians are to respect believers who are in authority. In the first half of verse 2, Paul writes, those who have believers, excuse me, in the first half of verse 2, Paul writes, those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren. In verse 1, Paul had instructed slaves on submitting to their masters regardless of who their master was. Now, Paul focuses his attention specifically on slaves who have a fellow believer as their slave master. The instruction is for the slaves not to be disrespectful because their masters are believers. Depending upon your English translation, your text may read, do not despise your masters because they are unbelievers. The idea is for the Christian slaves not to look down upon their Christian masters. It's the same word that's used here as in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, where Paul tells Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. So what is implied by this verse is that Christian slaves were despising, disrespecting, and looking down upon their Christian masters because they were believers. That's why this instruction is needed. This animosity between slave and master might have been caused by Paul's instruction in Galatians chapter 3. Starting in verse 28, where he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. With, with this verse in mind, the slaves could have been thinking, Come on, master, if we're all equal in Christ, why do you continue with us serving as slaves? Why don't you make our spiritual reality present in the here and now? Let's, let's do it. We're all equal. Come on. Why don't you just let us be free? While it's true that we're all spiritually equal in Christ, we still live in a fallen world where there's distinctions amongst people, even God-given distinctions amongst people. In Christ, there is neither slave nor free, yet there's still a difference in the relationship between slave and master, as we'll see. There's still a difference in the relationship between employer and employee. In Christ, there is neither male nor female, yet contrary to what we hear these days, there's still a distinction between male and female. So even though slave and master were equal in Christ, their freedom, um, they're still, they still have that slave-master relationship. And the Christian must not use their freedom in Christ as an excuse to be disrespectful or insubordinate to their masters. Uh, one commentator's note that I really enjoyed, so I put in here, was 
Being a Christian did not liberate the slaves from their obligations arising out of their status in a pagan society. Now, there are some who believe that Paul is addressing Christian slaves who have been taking advantage of their Christian masters in this verse. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 7, Paul had instructed slave masters to treat their slaves with goodwill and no longer threaten the slaves. It's possible that the Christian masters could have responded appropriately to Paul's instruction and began treating their slaves accordingly. And now Paul has to come back and address the slaves who are now taking advantage of their master's goodwill and Christian behavior. Paul's instruction to the Christian slaves is that they are to respect their Christian masters. Now, at face value, there may not to be, appear to be much of a difference between honoring that we were just talking about and respecting those in authority. Again, verse 1 spoke of honoring authority, which took the form of submission, submitting to that authority, doing what you're told, doing it well. All of these were outward expressions that can be physically seen. Here in verse 2, the instruction is to respect Christian authority. The word for respect indicates an inner attitude of genuine respect. This is more than simply complying with a directive. You can comply, you can be obedient on the outside, while on the inside you may be looking down upon your authority, despising them for the position that they hold. This respect that Paul calls us to requires us to address the issue of our hearts. As a Christian slave must have a genuine respect for the Christian master as the authority that God has placed over them. The idea is that a Christian slave will obey his master out of brotherly love rather than out of fear or compulsion or obligation. In our day, particularly here in America, we probably won't have this exact slave-master relationship, but we do have Christians working together with one Christian being in a position of authority and the other Christian being in a subservient position. We have Christians working together with different titles, different roles, different responsibilities. And knowing our sinful hearts, just those different titles and different responsibilities, that's probably enough for us to start despising those who are in authority over us. Sticking with the workplace example that we've used previously, let us say that you and a fellow member here at Summit Woods work at the same company. At church, you serve together, you worship together, maybe you're even part of the same growth group. You love each other as brothers at Christ, but the office, one of you is a manager and one of you is a lowly employee. As part of your job, the manager gives the orders down to the lowly employee, follow the orders. Now, a good employee will do what he's told, but Paul's instruction here is that the employee is to respect the Christian in authority. The employee must internally respect the other Christian as the authority that God has placed over them. He must submit to that authority out of brotherly love rather than obligation. Let's add an extra level of difficulty to this example. What if the lowly employee is an elder at the church. The elder's the spiritual leader at the church, but at work, now the roles are reversed. Now he's the lowly employee. In that circumstance, the elder must respect that Christian authority that God has placed in his life. He must respect and take orders from that layperson at the church. Even though these guys are equal in Christ, in the world they have different roles and responsibilities. It's important that the Christian employee not try to take advantage of his Christian manager by thinking he doesn't need to submit because they've got this bond as brothers in Christ. Or in the example of the elder, the elder must not try to take advantage of his Christian manager 
because of the position of authority he holds within the church. We must remember our role and we must respect the Christian authorities that God has placed in our lives. Now, it would be very difficult, if not impossible, for another person to properly examine your motives, your attitudes. So you will need to examine your own hearts to determine whether you are merely complying or whether you are truly respecting the Christian authority that God has placed over you in your life. Christians are to submit to authority by respecting believers who are in authority. Now, how are Christians to honor believers who are in authority? Well, that is our third principle. Christians are to serve believers who are in authority. Christians are to serve believers who are in authority. Picking up at the beginning of verse 2. Those who have believers as their masters must not be disrespectful to them because they are brethren, but must serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Paul sets up this contrast between disrespect and service. Slaves are not to disrespect their masters, but they are to serve them. So in our context, this defines how we are to respect the Christian in authority. You are to respect the Christian authority by serving them. Slaves are to serve their masters. This fits right in line with what came before. Slaves were commanded to honor their masters by working hard and doing their job well. Slaves are now commanded to respect their masters by serving them. But notice the language used here. It's not merely that slaves are to serve the masters. They are to serve them all the more. This phrase, all the more, suggests exceeding the service that is typically required. These Christian slaves in Ephesus were not to look down on their Christian masters, but were to go above and beyond the normal call of duty to serve their Christian masters. We are called to do the same. With the Christian authority figures that God has placed in our lives, we are not to look down or disrespect them. We are to serve them all the more. We don't just do the minimum. We don't just do enough to get by. We don't just do enough so we don't get yelled at. We are to go above and beyond in our service to them. Now, what does it look like to go above and beyond? I truly think the possibilities are limitless. But I can tell you this. Someone who is serving their Christian authority figure all the more doesn't use the phrase, that's not my job. We are to go the extra mile to serve them. That's how we honor Christian authority in our lives. We serve them well. Paul, once again, gives us the why. Why were slaves to respect their Christian masters? By serving them all the more. Picking up, this is the middle of verse 2. Serve them all the more because those who partake of the benefit are believers and beloved. Those who partake of the benefit is really just an interesting way of saying those who benefit. Serve them all the more because those who benefit, those who benefit from your good service, they are believers and beloved. The slaves were to respect their Christian masters by serving them all the more because the masters were themselves Christians. They believed in God and they were beloved by God. The slaves were not just serving their masters because it was their job or it was their lot in life. The slaves were to respect and serve their masters all the more because their masters were fellow believers in Christ. And it's the same for us. We are to respect the Christians God has placed in authority in our lives by serving them all the more because they are fellow believers in Christ. 
A Christian should always be willing to go above and beyond to serve a Christian brother who's in a position of authority. So what does it look like in our life doing this? I can tell you that you don't need an invitation to serve someone well. As a matter of fact, many people won't even ask, won't even let you know that they're in the need. But I can tell you, you don't need to be asked. You don't have to wait for an invitation to go that extra mile. You could start walking that mile all by yourself. If you're familiar with the process at work and you know the next steps in the process, you can do more than just your little piece of the puzzle. You can do more than just your little share of the work. If you're investing in your Christian brother's life, you'll likely know what they're going through. You'll know when they're in a need, when they've got too much on their plate. Do it. Help them out. Help your Christian brother. Serve him well. Christians are to submit to the authority in our lives by serving believers in authority. Now, verse 2 concludes with Paul writing, teach and preach these principles. 1 Timothy, again, it's a letter from Paul to Timothy to help young Timothy who is serving as an elder and pastor of the church in Ephesus. In this verse, Paul is instructing Timothy to teach and preach. Now, there are some similarities between teaching and preaching. They both consist of educating and passing along knowledge and information, but they are not the same thing. I mean, after all, that's why we have two separate words here. Preaching is to herald, to proclaim, to exhort, correct, to convict, to call for an action or a response. I believe it's a Martin Lloyd-Jones quote. Martin Lloyd-Jones was an English preacher for the greater part of the 20th century, but particularly the first half, who he was asked by a student, what was the difference between teaching and preaching? And his response was something to the effect of, young man, if you have to ask me the difference between teaching and preaching, you clearly haven't heard preaching. Because if you'd heard preaching, you'd know the difference. So Paul is instructing Timothy, instructing Timothy to teach and preach these things. So the obvious question has to be, what are these things? What are these principles? And I think it's clear that these principles definitely include the two verses we're looking at tonight, but I believe they actually go all the way back to chapter 5, verse 1. These principles would include Paul's instruction on how we interact with people of various ages in the church, how to handle the widows in the church, how to engage the elders in the church, and again, how to address the relationship between slaves and their masters. Remember, the greater context of 1 Timothy is addressing false teaching. Here, Paul is concluding a section of good, solid, biblical teaching. So the instruction to Timothy is, teach and preach these things. These things are not false. These are correct doctrine. This is what you need to be preaching and teaching at the church in Ephesus. Now, I would be remiss if I did not at least recognize a question that many of you probably have in this room. Why doesn't Paul condemn slavery? And the short answer is, is that it's not Paul's purpose here to condemn slavery. Paul's purpose is to instruct Christians on how to submit to authority for the sake of God's name and the gospel, even while living within an evil system. I know this can be a sensitive issue in America, the issue of slavery, and maybe even particularly so in a Southern Baptist church. So while it's not Paul's intention to condemn slavery, here's just a few things to note about Paul's addressing of slavery. First note that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21, Paul tells slaves that if they have the ability to become free and get out of slavery, they are to do that. If you can get out, get out. Second, I want you to, that this is on your own time, compare 
Paul's instruction on marriage and children to his instruction on slavery. Paul, who is in favor of both marriage and children, provides biblical support for both marriage and children when instructing the churches on these topics. He compares marriage to the relationship between Christ and the church while pointing us back to the garden when teaching on marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. Likewise, Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, when instructing children to obey their parents, goes back to the fifth commandment. But what biblical passage does Paul use to support slavery? Well, he doesn't, because Paul does not support slavery. But he does instruct Christians on how to live within the evil system that's in place in the society. And besides, Paul knows that the real way to change society, the real way to destroy an evil system, is by Christians working hard and bringing glory to their God on a daily basis. A Christian can still bring glory to God in difficult circumstances, even when confined to life as a slave. Paul's purpose was to instruct the Christians on how to submit to authority for the sake of God's name and the gospel, even while living in an evil system. Paul gave us three principles for how Christians are to submit to those authorities. Honor everyone in authority. Respect Christians who are in authority. And serve Christians who are in authority. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the authorities that you have placed in our lives. We pray that you give us the strength to honor you by submitting to those authority figures, even when we don't want to. Father, help us to work hard as if we are working for you. Let us respond to authority well and behave in such a way that we do not cause others to blaspheme your name or the gospel. Let us honor, respect, and serve those you've placed in positions of authority for the sake of the gospel and for your glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.